0: Phyllis, you cut out.
1: Oh, did I? Yeah,
0: I didn't even hear I you. I didn't oh. hear
1: you. Here, I'll do it. I'll do it again in three, two, one. Ooh, ooh,
0: ooh, ooh. Welcome aboard the Little Red Bandwagon. We're a twice weekly podcast dedicated to celebrating the radio show turned podcast, too beautiful to live on Mondays. We give you a recap of the previous week's shows and often on Fridays we bring on a fan of TBTL to tell us about their experiences with the show and play their favorite segments. Occasionally we'll do a clip show, but as a special treat every month this year we bring friend of the show Phyllis Fletcher on to share her favorite clip or clips from that month and show history as she keeps plugging away at listening to every last episode of TBTL. My name is Mike Frizzell. I live in an insect museum in Kyle, Texas, and joining me from the Finney Ridge neighborhood of Seattle is the aforementioned Phyllis Fletcher. Hello, Phyllis. Hi, Mike. Also, I don't want to hog the Halloween candy bag of delightfulness that is Phyllis. So joining us from just up the most dangerous stretch of freeway in North America is Meredith all the way slash don't call me Mary uh, Mahan. Hello, (laughs) Meredith.
2: Hey, Mike. (laughs)
0: <laughs> all right. Uh, I'm really looking forward to this this uh, month's show. I mean, We tried to record yesterday and it didn't work out. I had all kinds of BS going on at the house and I just made sure that we could reschedule because this one uh, I totally didn't want to miss. We're going to uh, while we have Phyllis, uh, we're going to be talking about her history with the host of TVTL, Luke Burbank. And it's a story that's needed telling. And I'm glad I'm going to get a chance to uh, hear it in person. We will also get her TBTL history clip from uh, a month of November, uh, not too far long ago. We'll do uh, whatever housekeeping we need to do, and then we'll let you know how to get involved so maybe you can get on the show just like uh, Phyllis does monthly. Um, Phyllis, while we have you, uh, I've been wanting to get this story (laughs) for a while. We've talked about um, how... You got involved with listening to the show and that was because uh, you knew Luke from way back in your early KOW days and then you ran into him at a public radio conference and sort of like uh, rekindled that friendship, probably made it, uh, submitted that friendship and then it got you into listening to TBTL. But we want to hear the origin story Um, Yes, this is way back (laughs) in the day. What was the what was the year where you you decided to chuck your job in? um, You were a software engineer?
1: Yes, they decided to chuck me. Oh, they chucked you. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. And I chucked the concept of being in software. Okay. So I have to I can't claim huge uh, bravery here. They laid me off first. Uh-huh. They before I got to say I reject you, <laughs> <laughs> they rejected me. But did you <laughs> but it, did it, it's you all keep, good.
0: Mo- did you keep looking for a, a software job or did you just on the spot had you already been thinking, I want to change paths?
1: I I um I had my epiphany that summer, the summer of two thousand two, mm-hmm. that um, you know, I had my epiphany that I should uh try to work in something that I enjoy as much as public radio and specifically that I should try to work at KUOW. Mm-hmm. And I did kind of half heartedly, I'm mean, initially full heartedly, but then more half heartedly apply for software jobs. Um, but whenever I would do it, it would just make me feel sick. So I just knew that was over for me. It was like the clearest, clearest thing I've ever had in my life.
0: So you were applying for these jobs, but you didn't really want to get them.
1: <laughs> well, it didn't, it didn't seem that way at first. Um, you know, it, it, initially it was like, you know, I still had contacts in the industry who were giving me pretty good hookups mm-hmm. to pretty good interviews. And so I would do them, but it was not really anything I initiated. Mm-hmm. Um and I would actually go to the interviews, and sometimes I'd even make it to a second interview, but it just wasn't really – like, when I thought about, man, what if I actually get this job? I'd be like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so I would apply with the best of intentions, and then I would be like, this is the worst. So – um But whenever I would think about and do things in public radio, I would get really, really excited. So definitely that's where more of my effort was going. Were you volunteering
0: at the time at KOW or was there an internship? Was there something that was advertised that you jumped on or did you just – Just start hanging around the station like, you know, like in the movies. He just, oh, (laughs) let's give the kid a job. (laughs) (laughs)
1: There was was definitely nothing advertised. The first thing I did was write to Bill Radke with a resume and offer to be an intern on Rewind. Mm -hmm. And I actually got a very kind rejection letter personally from Bill. So that's pretty cool. (laughs) Uh, I'm
0: glad he acquitted himself well.
1: Yeah, it was nice. And I was like, well, shoot, what am I going to do? Because and then then I realized, you know, it's not going to be about what I know. It's going to be about who I know. Mm-hmm. And so I started working my personal contacts to see, like, who knows someone who knows someone in public radio. But eventually what happened is that someone at the place where I volunteered, um, e- either I must have mentioned my interest or she found out about it or something. And she said, you should volunteer in the membership drive. Mm-hmm. Because I was volunteering at this other place where she also volunteered, but she worked producing the membership drive. So I started there answering phones. And from that, I got my internship, which is what led to my meeting Luke. Mm-hmm.
0: So you didn't. And that was
1: in the fall of 2002. You,
0: you got an internship with KOW, not with Rewind.
1: Right. I got an internship with KUOW on the news side. So I was in the same room as the Rewind people. But what was happening with them at that time was they were losing their distribution from NPR. Mm -hmm. And so they were trying to figure out, well, what form is Rewind going to take? How is it going to continue? And they basically had to um, really trim back their producing staff, which Luke was part of. And so that's what catapulted his departure from KUOW. And he was going through that when I was an intern.
0: To catch people up with what uh, rewind was is uh, a fellow named uh, Bill Radke, who was a friend of mine from college. He um, he had gone off he he had left uh, Seattle and gone to Orlando for a few years and was sort of the local host of. Um, uh, like All Things Considered or whatever. He was kind of the the local guy who did all the fill-ins. And then he came back to Seattle. He was a stand-up comedian, and he also worked at KOW, and he created a show called Rewind, which was a recap of the week's news events. It had some regular segments, and they had some um, you know comedy writing and skits. And he hired uh, John Moe, who's a um, public radio personality who we've talked about here on this show before, and he also hired Luke, um who was pretty fresh faced out of the UW at the time. So that show was going on and Phyllis you were a intern on the news side so you would run into these guys but he, as you said that show was winding down. It it had a nice heyday and it looked like it might turn into something larger maybe even national you know a big national show but it petered out and now Luke's on sort of on the outs and and you're trying to learn the ropes.
1: Yeah, exactly. So it was, um, you know, in in some interactions and some things I was advised of at the time were like awkward, you know, because it's basically a situation where some of these people might not slash won't be working here anymore. Mm -hmm. And you're you're a new person. And that's just awkward by nature. Um, I mean, I wasn't getting paid or anything mm-hmm. like that but it's just weird because you know people aren't necessarily in the best mood and then there's this new person and people are like who mm-hmm. are you Ugh. you know <laughs> and so and believe me there were some people who were like uh but um um, You know, so I I mean, I think a good thing about being an intern at 30 years old is I was savvy to office politics. Mm-hmm. And so when I figured out that this was something that was going on, I was like, I'm going to just lay low here. I'm not going to act like I think I know anything because I don't. And I'm just here to learn, you know. And so... um and I got lucky that they were, when I was just barely starting my internship, um, I job shadowed someone on election night, um, 2002. And from that I picked up my internship. And so I was just barely starting it in November, December, 2002. And they were trying to produce a series. They wanted to do a five day series, um, uh, one four minute story each day. Um, and, um, each, each reporter would produce a story, about what they wanted to call first person race relations and it was kind of a cool idea because it was they wanted to do it because it was leading up to some like kind of race relations conference that was happening in january so in that sense of it's a very public radio thing to be like we're going to have these stories every day leading up to this conference but they wanted to do like an something that sounds more like story core than like a traditional NPR story where the reporter's voice isn't in it at all. Mm. And you're just interviewing some person in depth about their experience with how their race has shaped their interactions with other people and their life in Seattle. And, um, and I came up with two ideas and the one I ended up going with, I, I didn't think they would let me do anything since I was just an intern, but I pitched something and they were into it. And it was, uh, basically to do a story about racism that happens over the phone Mm. And um they gave me a lot of um things, a lot of tips and advice to make it, you know, kind of like your uh, a public radio type approach to it. And what I decided to do was um I was able to find a, a study that says that ninety percent of the time you can tell someone's race over the phone. And then I just did man on the street interviews and asked people about times that they had been discriminated against over the phone. And um it was really fun and really interesting and i think about that story a lot when luke and andrew talk about how much they hate doing man on the street mm-hmm. and i i understand and i've talked about the things that are hateful about doing it but the thing that's great about doing it is how unpredictable it is and if you hit on something that someone cares about they'll give you amazing stories and so that's what i did and um and so i i lined up all these cuts, you know, just short sound bites of audio, um, of, of people talking about this stuff. And I put it in an order that I felt like made, made sense. And I was working with an editor who was giving me guidance and, and it was really, really coming together nicely. And they said, you know, all these stories are going to have music in the background to kind of tie it together. And they said, you need music. And, um, there's, and they said, basically there's one person here who works here who's cool and that person (laughs) is named luke and you need to go over to luke and ask him for some music because we know he'll have something that'll work really well for this story Mm -hmm. and um I had heard of Luke, and I had even seen him do stand-up before because I was such a hardcore KUOW fan and Rewind fan specifically that I went to one of their stand-up nights they had one time where they had Bill and other people who work on the show doing stand-up. And it was really good. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, man, this guy is cool. You know, I'm like a nerd who's older than him, and I have to go (laughs) over and ask
0: him for music. Yeah, but Phyllis, you get carded, so
1: (laughs) – that's true.
0: You still get Yeah, carded. I did find
1: out. I did find out eventually. Yes, I got carded even just a couple weeks ago. I um I did find out that he he never was sure what my age right. was. So I didn't know that he didn't realize that I I was older. Um, you know, so I went over, uh, "Hi, I'm here, you know." And he was like, "Oh, sure, yeah." And like I mean, he could have said anything. He could have been like, "I'm busy. Who told you to ask me?" Like, what up? You know, there are many, many, many passive-aggressive ways he could don't have given me Don't
0: you know I'm, I'm walking off. dead here? Don't you know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, who knows what he was even doing when I interrupted him to ask? Mm-hmm. And those kinds, even though they're little things, those kinds of interactions when you're an intern can mean everything. Mm-hmm. And I found that out the hard way with other people, mm-hmm. but um I he was he was nice and he very quickly gave me this music that um that is very what i part of why i was so touched years later when i thought about this is when i after i started listening to tbtl i realized that some of the music he gave me it's it's his signature music mm-hmm. and he's even talked about some of it on the show that you know how much he loves this particular music he gave me. And, um, it really did make the story move along in a, in a, in a a way that was completely appropriate for the story. And he barely even knew what the story was about. Mm. He just knew that I was coming over asking him for, for music and he just gave it to me and people can be really territorial about their music, you know, music that they feel like is their signature sound on the air. Um, and and I get that. And he was just so generous with it. And um, I was asked to say something about him for his 40th birthday on the Livewire podcast. And I told that story um, because, A, I knew people who would be listening to that part of the Livewire podcast would be, you know, hardcore public radio nerds and hardcore Luke nerds. But also because I really think it's an embodiment of something that I've heard him talk about, which, and something that, you know, to me, this is evidence that this is how he actually lives, which is, it's not, you know, there, if, if you're nice to people, it's usually not going to cost you anything. Mm -hmm. And it can be something that not only can really help them out, but you just never know. It might help you out later, but that's not the reason to do it. You should just do it to be nice, you know, and to be generous Mm -hmm. and to, to show people that, that, that that's a good way to be and to actually help the other person. And he really, really did help me out in a long lasting way because years later, people still love listening to that story. Um, and a lot of it has to do with the production elements and how it was, you know, the the music really helps it along. So I'm, and I've never thanked him for that to his face. Oh. Um, I know he heard that message and, and played it, um, you know, in the, in the live wire podcast. Um, but it's just so funny how so many of these relationships that I've developed and strengthened through TBTL are mostly not face to face. And I've obviously listened to thousands of hours of Luke and Andrew and Jen too. And, um, and then, you know, when I actually see him, it's, it's neat because we have things to talk about, but the amount of time I've spent with him in person has mostly been on the air and you've heard most of it and it's it's been not that much but it's still really I hadn't really even important thought
0: of that mm-hmm. but that's yeah that, I think it's that's, true that's almost true of my relationship with Luke as well we've talked on the phone a few yeah. times and and we've gone out to lunch a few times I've been over to his house and got watched games and stuff but uh, probably if you total up all the times that I've been on the show and talked to him and Jen and Andrew over the air is probably equal to or greater than the time that I've actually spent with him, um, on, on my own.
2: Well, and that's part of the beauty of the whole Stens community too, right? Like most of us don't know each other in person,
1: but we're all good friends. Absolutely. I feel that way. And it was, that's part of why it was so neat to, to run into Luke after all those years. Cause here's someone like I was definitely aware of, I wasn't sure how aware he was of me or how much he would remember me. And I was, you know um this is the PRPD conference where we uh ran into each other in September, 2014, a couple months before I started listening. And um, you know, I was just, I was I was a public radio nerd at a big nerdy conference and I was about to walk onto a bus with a giant backpack on and I just heard Phyllis (laughs) through a megaphone and it was Luke (laughs) and he had been doing this really cool but goofy shtick where he was he was being Portland tour guide to all these like, you know, public radio program directors who are basically like aging nerds mm-hmm. you know and he's taking them around and giving them a cool experience and you know he's about to go into this situation where he's going to watch John Moe do wits and like feel not so great about himself while he watches his his friend slash competitor do a show that he has a feeling is probably going to be really good and you know the like it would have been very easy like I hadn't seen him I could have just walked onto the bus and he could have sat somewhere else in the bus and then later he could have been like oh hey yeah I sort of remember you But like he actually said something and it's I mean, you know, maybe it's a sign of that society has gotten so bad that I give him so much credit for that. (laughs) But I really do, because it's like I wasn't someone who looked cool or, you know, was was going to be, you know, professionally helpful to him in any way. And I know he was, you know, kind of nervous and all that stuff. But he just was like, oh, my God, it's someone I know. I want to say hi. And that's so Neat. And I'm glad he did that because it definitely led to my listening to the show and being part of the show. So I've I've really, you know, Luke Burbank is aces in my book. I'll just say that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, he's uh, he's been really kind to just about everyone that I've ever talked to. No one's had a bad experience with Luke. And you can't say that about some other uh, radio people and even public radio <laughs> yeah. people. You can't say that about. I know. So um, yeah. <laughs> he deserves any success that he's experiencing, you know, just from the way he's treating people. But um, Jeremy, let's play uh, that um, that story that uh, Luke helped out with the music, helped uh, fill us out with. Let's play it right here.
3: When you need to make a dinner reservation or ask about a job, you probably pick up the phone. If you're black, you may find that making a simple call involves an extra step. Hello? 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 Researchers at Stanford University say Americans can accurately determine someone's race 80% of the time based on the sound of a single word. Hello? 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 Many African Americans say this leads to linguistic profiling, which often results in poor service and racial discrimination. As a result, many blacks make a conscious effort to change the way they sound on the phone. That's the focus this morning as we conclude our week-long series on race in the Pacific Northwest. I don't know if
4: I'm consciously trying to sound white, but I know I'm consciously not trying to sound black.
5: I I, I know people can tell over the phone. I mean, it's in the voice. Black people have fuller lips, rounder noses, almond shaped eyes. Uh, their hair shape is different So your voice is going to be distinct also
1: Definitely, I wouldn't just call and say hi I'd say, hi Bring my voice up a little bit And a lot of times I think that that's not What they expect from a brown person So it's easier for them to assume That it's 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 someone we should give some respect to <laughs> When I call like hotels Like if I'm staying at a hotel or something I kind of lighten my voice up. Hi, this is, you know, you got to sound professional. You know, or they're not, they're not going to give you the time of day. That's what I think.
5: The response is more patience, more respectful, of course. I've heard my stepfather alter his voice to uh, call in about maybe a delay of payment on a bill. And, and I never asked him about it because I always figured this is something he had to do to make it. He basically straight up tried to sound like a white person to get some business taken care of.
1: Being in Seattle, I know if I want to go to someplace in Bellevue, I definitely use my white girl voice. Hi, this is Cynthia. You know, just real bubbly, just cheerful, cheerful, cheerful. And if I want to make a reservation, it's... Hi, this is Cynthia. Can I have uh, reservations for four tonight? Thank you. Have a good day. I just raise the octave, just take the bass out of my voice. Hi. <laughs> I had made a call one day and um,
2: it was to a Caucasian male and he asked me if I was a uh, black man. And I was like, yes I am. I was like, does that have anything to do with this call sir? He was like, no, but I don't want to talk to you.
1: And he hung up in my face.
5: I think all black people have to learn to sort of play a certain role, put on a certain mask in different environments. It's like something we turn off and on all the time. I think most people of color you're gonna change the sound of your voice to sound more like what's the uh, dominant culture. Like, oh yeah, I was calling my friend's job the other day. And uh, when I call him, you know, I just have to, you know, say, hello, may I speak to Thomas? Even when you call the police, you have to sometimes change your voice so they'll be more apt to come on time. It's just like, kind of like a survival mechanism.
3: Seattle-area African Americans, in their own words, as told to KUOW's Phyllis Fletcher. Over the weekend, local officials and community leaders will host a special conference on race relations. Information about the event is available at seattleconference.com. You can hear all of this week's morning edition stories about race on our website at KUOW.org.
0: Phyllis, when you had that idea, had you recently experienced some of this, or is it just something that you heard people talk about? Did like people that you were related to or friends of yours experience this uh phone racism?
1: For whatever reason, my brother and I had been talking about it recently. I think that's why it was on my mind. I'm sure it's never happened to me because in the in the spectrum of voices I quote unquote sound white to most people, I'm You're sure. Becky. Um <laughs> I guess so. I can do a really good Becky voice. I did it on KUOW last week. Uh-huh. It was really fun. Um, but, um, but my brother was, I don't know how we got on it, but, um, he and I were talking about how he had, um, tried to sound white, um, to, to get apartments. And, um, hmm. sometimes it at least got him there, but sometimes it didn't. And it's interesting because this is something that's also been exposed by crank anchors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they put on different, Super like, Super exaggerated... underrated show, by
0: the way. That...
1: Yeah. I agree. When I had my internship or my fellowship at NPR, I, um... I had no TV, and so I was constantly ordering DVDs from Netflix to watch on my computer. Mm-hmm. And I remember cr- I watched the complete Crank Yankers, um, their <laughs> oeuvre, uh, when I was at NPR. But, um, Phyllis, um Phyllis, I, mean, I don't know na- if I know anyone
0: else who <laughs> who uh, would appreciate Downton Abbey as much as you do, and then also be a huge Crank Yankers fan.
1: <laughs> I am very familiar with their entire catalog. And a big part of it is putting on exaggerated ethnic voices Uh and calling, um, rental listings to find out what they have. And, um, their answers would change based on the exaggerated ethnicity the comedian was portraying. Um, but, Mm. and so my, my brother had been through that personally. And I just thought, you know, that might be that combined with the reaction of the, of the KUOW reporters when I said my idea, it made me think that it was a good idea because they hadn't heard of it before. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I know for a fact this happens, so if I can just get some people talking about it, um, you know, in the forum of uh, in the in the format of this series, it would work really well because it wasn't the kind of thing where then I had to bring in someone to say, oh, well, it doesn't really happen. You know, like I didn't have to do that. Um, mm-hmm. I just had to get the experiences of people who had actually gone through this. And, yeah, because how are you going to dispute mean, that? How yeah. is some
0: expert going to know say, no, that never happened to you? <laughs> well, white
1: people do try to do that a lot. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it was helpful. It was really helpful that there was a study from Stanford. <laughs> um that I was able to cite in the in the intro. Um the intro to that story was read by Deborah Brandt. And my voice only whips by very, very, very briefly. I'm one of the people in the intro who says hello. Um but um it was it was cool and interesting to go out on the street and get these stories. Um and uh two of the two of the people were not men on the street things. They were women that I was and am friends mm-hmm. with. Um, and uh, i i told the editor that at the time and he was like yeah that's fine um but uh it was i mean they're also different but have a lot of things in common um and i i liked uh i just liked producing that story it was one of my favorites i mean it still is one of my favorites but it was my favorite favorite story i had ever done for many 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 years i was
0: thinking about that story you you sent it to me a couple days ago and then yesterday uh, after I had to cancel our recording, uh, I I was watching an ad and it was for um, Discover Card. And I have a Discover Card, which I rarely use, but uh, I've had it for years and years and years. And I felt kind of icky about having it because the the ad, the main feature of the ad was if you call for customer service, you will get someone in the U.S. Oh. <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> I don't give a f- Uh, right, just give me somebody who's going to help me out, you know? Right. And, yeah. but uh, I told Emily about, she was like, yeah, I heard another company advertising that. And I'm saying this, this is very Trumpy to me. This is very like, Mm. you know, it feels icky. Like,
1: yeah, it's risky and it is potentially alienating to, I mean, I think that a lot of companies when they, when they produce commercials like that, they're thinking about, you know, the the most uh, vociferous complaints mm-hmm. that they feel like they deal with. But they're not thinking about like, you know, I mean, obviously, that's a slam against South Asian, um, you know, customer service centers. And what about all the customers they have of South Asian descent? Well, and what about the people from South Asia
2: who are <laughs> Americans, right? Yeah, like, come on, totally. what they're saying that's is you'll saying. get a white person. That's what they're saying. Yeah.
1: And they're talking about, you know, people who sound like their their parents or their grandparents. And it's, you know, it's right. totally
0: rude. <laughs> well, just say all a- Beckys all the time at our cousins right. <laughs>
2: Boo. <laughs> now, this is a that, phenomenon totally. that I've been aware of for a long time because I have uh, – my, my aunt married a black man. And mm-hmm. my cousins are mixed. And they both sound, quote, unquote, black. And mm-hmm. they were – I remember them talking a lot to me about – um having to sound more white for things like school reports. Cause this is when we were teenagers. Um, mm-hmm. So like when they're giving a presentation, they have to put on their white voice.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I'm sure that came in handy later when they um, had credit cards and medical bills. Yeah. And, and it was good training for Well, that. Yeah.
2: And my cousin, <laughs> uh, the older one is a, is a hospital administrator for the Navy. She's pretty high up in the Navy and mm-hmm. uh she, still does this all the time. And I'm sure that's wow. a really common experience, especially depending on her audience too. You know, she's talking to higher ups in the military. She gets very white. Mm-hmm.
1: Hmm. Yeah. It's, uh,
2: it's there was not a, that uh,
0: fun. There was a story. I don't know if it was a repeat, um, but it played pretty recently on This American Life of a uh, a kid who was on his way to college and he had a very African sounding name. I think his parents were from Uganda. And the um his roommate, his potential roommate or his, his future roommate called him up and his, the um the son of the Ugandan folks uh his friends convinced him to do like a voice, like the Eddie Murphy from Coming to America voice. And so he did it and the kid was so excited, the other kid was so excited that he was going to be rooming with this guy. Uh no. the guy show the the, the they show up and um, the 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 guy's friends convinced him to at least greet the roommate in the you know and to wear a dashiki and uh, whatever African clothes that he had. And so the guy said, "Okay, I'll just greet him like that. Then you know we'll say oh, it was a joke and whatever. We'll laugh it off and then we'll be roommates." But the the roommate had brought his father and his and his little sister there to meet this. <laughs> oh no, this dude so he had to keep doing the character and then people kept no. walking in like the ra and then oh, no. you know he met other people in the hall and then there was met a professor or whatever and so he for like the better oh, part of a semester no. played this character and oh, no. and he loved it because he wasn't popular in high school oh. uh, at all yeah. and now he's super popular oh. at college as this character and uh. it's, it's a great story and i I definitely i'll I'll link it in the show notes because um it's so entertaining and this guy is so he he feels terrible about it but he never used it to like uh sleep with girls or anything so he's like halfway clear conscience on it
1: (laughs) and most people
0: (laughs) forgave him except for the one there was one girl that he was trying to date and she's Oh. Probably still mad to this day as yeah. any any girl yeah. would be, but um, oh but it just it speaks to that like, you know, how do you want to be perceived? Do you want to be how true do you want to be to yourself? And are you gonna let how much you're gonna let your your actual personality get in the way of success? And why should it?
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. I've got a little story about that. So, we have a friend from Duff's work. I'm not going to put him on blast by saying his real name, but he was uh, looking for a new job and was putting out applications. He's from Armenia, uh, has a very Armenian name, and he wasn't getting any calls back, even though he's very, very qualified, good experience. Uh, No calls, no calls, no calls. He changed his name on his resume to Jack. Calls, 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 calls. Mm -hmm. Oh, (laughs) and he was hired. At the place where Duff <gasps> works as Jack, everybody there knows him as jack um, and it 's fine, <laughs> except yeah. for when and and you know this it, my heart hurts for him, he kind of brushes it off i don 't know how he truly feels about it, but we became personal friends with with him and his wife, mm-hmm. and we had Thanksgiving dinner uh with his parents one time they came down to texas and and we all had dinner together, and they took us aside, and they were like, "Look." <laughs> his parents don't know about this and they would be heartbroken. Oh Oh, Oh, man. So, and I totally understand that. And like, can you please call him his real name? Yeah. What in front of them? And we were like, absolutely. It was just like the whole time I'm thinking his name isn't Jack. His name isn't, don't call him Jack. Don't call him Jack.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so now it's interesting
2: when those worlds blend, because a lot of the friends are work friends and personal friends. And some people know him as his real name and some people know him as his, as Jack. So it gets it gets a little bit confusing. Um, but I haven't slipped up once yet. So fingers oh, good. crossed. That's great. But you I just feel always, sad that he had to do that. You can
0: always say, Meredith, that like we're Americans, we call everyone Jack. Jack.
2: <laughs> right it just means buddy. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Hey pal. <laughs> Listen, Jack. Oh <laughs> I was just being a jerk. I'm sorry. Yeah. I call everyone Jack.
1: <laughs> Right. Yeah.
0: So oh, Phyllis, uh, that I guess that yeah. r- that more or less wraps up while we have you. So we yes. now you have your actual clip which is yes. from uh just a couple years ago, right?
1: Yes, I'm so excited about this. I do believe this is the very first TBTL I listened to. There were two that got me hooked and I think I listened to this one first. Mm-hmm. Um uh going back I went back into my personal archives to verify that and so and that consisted of scrolling back up in uh in a Facebook thread I have with Andrew <laughs> so um so I was I was on uh KUOW again a Bill Radke show this time it's uh, it's called Week in Review it's every Friday where you have those little news roundtable things people talking about news of the week and um this was in November 2014 and um I It was my first time seeing Luke since I had run into him at PRPD, and um, I was on with him, and it was really fun. It was awesome. David Burbank was there. Carrie Burbank was there watching off in the oh, side room. that's good. Yeah, it was neat. So I got to meet them and say hi, and, and Luke and I talked about Howard Stern a little bit after the show, and then it was like, you know, I really got to listen to this guy's show. And Tom Maliazzi um, had, had died recently. And, um, they had done an obit of him. And so, um, I finally listened to it. Um, it was, I, I think by the time I was listening to it, it was a couple weeks after it was actually on. Um, but I loved it. And there was a particular point that Andrew made that, I ended up uh writing to him about and saying, Oh my god, that was so funny and so true. And so in this episode, they they talk about Tom Maliazzi and his personal story, but then they pivot to car talk in the context of public radio and what it means. And so this is a this is this is a very, very special LRB today because it's a very public radio and very nerdy. Mm-hmm. Um but this uh, believe it or not, when you listen to it, this is the conversation that had me go, I have to listen to more of this show. This particular part of episode 1722 from November 3rd,
5: 2014. I have said probably for the past 10 years, and I wonder if maybe somebody who I admire a lot said this one time and I'm copying it or, or not. But for a long time, I've always said, you know what? If Car Talk came around today, no public radio program director would put it on the air. Or certainly not any of the big wig stations and certainly not NPR. If NPR was exactly the same, but there was no car talk and we didn't know what car talk was. And then somebody, you know, then Tom and Ray sent a tape to, you know, NPR. Would NPR put that show on the air? And I've always said never. Never would that happen. And now today, I don't, don't, maybe I'm rethinking that a little bit because of, you know, learning a little bit more about how they came to be and how. They were just like a small and I kind of knew This but knowing that they came to be because They were a local show that Then became a segment on You know weekend edition which then Blossomed into something else I guess We see that happen in public radio from time to Time but it's just so hard To imagine NPR these days saying Hey there's these two guys it's so much about their personality; it's like totally personality-driven. They laugh their ass off all the time with these heavy Brooklyn accents. Let's let's give them primetime real estate on Saturday mornings. I think uh, one. I think they have Boston accents. Oh, what did I say? Um, you said Brooklyn. Oh, yes. Obviously, it's Boston. Sorry. Um,
4: no, I, I wasn't correcting you. For a moment, I thought, well, maybe they were from Brooklyn before they no, moved no, to no. Boston. But yeah, definitely. Lest Boston. we get lest we get a bunch of sharpshooters. Um, I uh, I actually – I'm not sure if, if if the person, if the wise person you're thinking of is me who said that to you. But I have for years and years, really ever since I did that show, The Bryant Park Project, uh, which was supposed to be for NPR, this big um, bold endeavor, which I didn't think was really bold enough ultimately. I have always used Car Talk as an example of, of – of, as, as a way to explain what I think is wrong with the way most – public radio shows get created at a network level so like a show that gets made by npr or a show that gets made by a number of other large entities that create these shows they go get a bunch of money from the corporation public broadcasting uh and then they decide to make a show and they almost always in my opinion reverse engineer the shows and the shows that are good and interesting are the shows like car talk that and by the way i, I i'm not i wouldn't describe myself as a huge car talk fan like I have listened to some of it in my life. It was never a priority for me. I, I never hated the experience of listening to it, but I never sought it out, and I would have no problem changing the channel when Car Talk was on. That being said, like, I think the show was was really genius, and I think that the if you – this is how I would always describe it, as a way of talking about how bland I think most nationally created programming is. If NPR decided to start an automotive show right now, they would go, well, we need somebody in Tokyo, and we need somebody in – um, Detroit, and we'll get somebody from Car and Driver magazine, and they would just go ahead and put, they'd put together all of the most sort of obvious and relevant people, and they'd call the show like um, you know what speaking would they call? Speaking of would cars, NPR's automotive. What's that? Speaking of cars, speaking of cars, or um, um, automotivated. <laughs> Automotivated auto- conversations. I don't know. They uh, No, it would be something way worse than that. And they would they would just create this show that would be like a million other shows they've made across a variety of spectrums, whether it's their attempt at making sports shows, whether it's their attempt at making youthful morning shows like the Bryant Park Project, whether it's their attempt at making a pub trivia quiz show like uh, – uh, Tell Me Another, which I'm sure is a fine program, but it's like – I feel like with that show, what they did was – and I actually the host of that show, aphira Eisenberg, I think is is great and funny and interesting. I know her. But I feel like that show, like many shows I've worked on for NPR was they just took one of those like Google information clouds and they just went with like the three biggest words, which was like people like pub trivia and people like Jonathan Colton and people like beer – and then they just said, that's, let's do that. And and it's not a, really a, actually a bad idea, but it's like, if you went to NPR now, like you said, Andrew, and, and you said, no, no, I've got your automotive, I got your automotive show, and it's just these two dudes, they would just laugh you out of the place. And I think that I, w- I really wish that, that there was more embrace of weird shit on public radio because weird shit is what almost always works. And yet NPR, in, in this is so boring and in the weeds, I'm sorry, but like, I've worked on – I've personally worked on two NPR shows that suffer from this exact thing. One was called Day to Day. It was a midday show on NPR, which was, again, not a bad show at all. But it was like they said, well, they, they reverse engineered the idea of a show and made this show and it was completely fine. But then eventually they canceled it because it wasn't really catching on the way they wanted. And then that other thing, the Bryant Park Project. And I don't understand If they look across the landscape at that shows that are popular, the things like Car Talk, the things like Radio Lab which was Jad Abumrad and Robert Krowich working in the basement of the radio station like overnight when nobody needed the studios to make this thing. You know, All of the stuff that seems to me to really be interesting and to stand out, it's almost all of it with the exception of like Morning Edition, All Things Considered, uh, which were created through the typical ways and actually weirdly enough, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, which was created through this machinery and then somehow managed to take off. But with those exceptions – they rarely create anything that 's really that interesting and dynamic it 's never anything as interesting as car talk, but I would think that at some point they would realize like we need to let more of the more of the weirdos into this because when we let the weirdos do it, it turns out pretty well, and car talk was evidence of that
5: well, you know what I think the problem is, and i I think that you you hit on it when you said that um, car talk car talk is polarizing, and I mean a bunch of things have happened since the early days of of public radio when you know when the car talk guys started um uh, you know it was a much it was a much wilder day there for it for public radio stations and then eventually thats the network they would create n p r um and you know the the one kind of caveat here is when you realize that car talk was created. At a local radio station during an early eight, because it was on the air 10 years before it was picked up by NPR in 87 as a segment, which means we are talking about a show that would have started in 77 or 78 on a local public radio station. Local public radio was much more local and weird back then. I could see in this day and age, I could see in this day and age, if you had some local people who did like a a, a weird show on some public radio station in the country, but they ended up having a regular segment on one of the weekend news magazines, I could see, and this is why I changed my mind a little bit, like I could sort of see NPR being like, oh, okay, let's try these guys out in a little segment and then – it kind of they develop their own legs and their own fan base, and you decide to give them more time, but this idea about them being polarizing, I think it really speaks to what and it 's not just nPR or public radio writ large it 's radio writ large, but there is something specifically about personalities, and you don 't have a lot of room for the personality on public radio these days. You could say, you know i mean you have them obviously you have ira and and all the people and kind of the the um this american life universe but even them they still pretty much play it like you know pretty straight and scripted and whatever and we like the personalities that they are and i'm you know i don't want to turn this into a conversation where it sounds like i'm just like bashing on public radio all the time but even the personality that you do hear a little bit is much safer and and just literally scripted and the idea of just having two guys who will um who will just laugh and be grating at times and tell dumbass jokes. It really sounds like I'm just describing TBTL now. No offense. Carter. Yeah, no, I mean, that's definitely some that's kind of our guiding vision on the program. Right. Exactly. But it is going to be polarizing. You know, I feel the same thing. I think one of the most exciting things happening in radio right now, as you well know, isn't on the radio airwaves necessarily, but it's Pesca's show. And thinking about Pesca's show is kind of reminding me of the first time that I heard – um TBTL actually you know There there are things that I want to do in Radio in public radio that I want to push Public radio in a certain direction and part of That direction is allowing The hosts to have more personality Maybe even with a caveat that like hey This show doesn't represent the View we're going to have some views on this Show and the views are not always Representative of the NPR or the member stations Or whatever you want to say but the idea To let people go Unscripted Obviously, to have a plan and to have a produced show, but then to see what kind of chemistry happens when people just start talking. When uh, I literally hear on public radio people scripting jokes that you know that they scripted, but then their partners are laughing at. You're like, "Why are you laughing at that? You guys were talking about that in the editorial meeting." You know, like I, I, I feel that would have like... never
4: happened on the Buzzards Morning Zoo.
5: <laughs> Certainly not. And sorry, I'm on a little bit of a of a ramble here, but I think the thing is when you allow somebody when you you say, you know what? This is a personality-driven show. What you're going to have is a polarized show and a polarized audience and people who are going to absolutely love it and people who are going to absolutely hate it. And I don't know that any radio station in this particular um, – era that we live in, let alone public radio, which is so much different than it was in the 70s and 80s when it was still trying to figure out who it was and it was a scrappy organization. Like Public radio is a really big business now and uh, it's really hard to just say, you know what, we have a couple of personalities, they laugh a lot, they're incredibly smart guys but they play it dumb sometimes, Like whatever it is but some people are going to Fucking hate them. (laughs) It's gonna Like people are going to reach for the radio and turn it off. But if you give it enough time, they are going to feel like your brothers or your uncles or whatever it is. It's just you don't have in the media market the way it is. You just don't have that kind of. um, I don't know if you want to call it bravery or you just don't have that kind of opportunity. I guess it depends on how kind of cynical you are. Well, and everything doesn't have to be for
4: everybody. I mean that's the other thing like – and this is I think a, a big, a bigger problem in public radio, but it's a problem across the board, which is the idea of broadcasting versus narrowcasting, which I sort of mention a lot on this show. But it's like there's this idea that if you make something and some segment of the population is like I don't like that, that you better just change it. Or get rid of it. But it's also okay if everything's not for for everybody. I mean I didn't even really listen to that much car talk, but I was always happy that it existed. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel the same way about A Prairie Home Companion to be honest with you. Like I don't listen to it all the time now, but I'm glad it's – I'm glad it's there because like even stuff that isn't for me on public radio – I think well it's probably for somebody. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of a lot of the people that are in charge of making the decisions just feel like, you know, I mean here I'll give you a perfect example. The the show LiveWire that I do down here in Portland, we got a really angry email from the I guess the guy in charge of the public radio station in Yuma, Arizona. Because we had <laughs> this guy on the show and he was talking about he was the guy Steve Almond who wrote that book against football. Yeah, he was basically laying laying out the case for why football is pretty bad for this country, even though he was a very very big football fan for many years and, and loves football, but 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 just feels like he can't really support it any longer. So he was reading some of the hate mail he got for questioning football, and it was like you know people calling him basically just like a giant vagina. That was like the real that was a recurring theme, and he read some of these you know pretty funny. 'Cause they were so over the top kind of bits of hate mail. And um this guy in in Yuma was furious that it was on this was on and was, you know, wrote this email that made it through PRI and made it to LiveR and made it back to
5: me. And for the and, record, literally the word vagina, not uh not yeah, a slang yeah.
4: word. No, 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 the word vagina, and he was reading it. It was I mean it was actually in context. It was kind of funny, but it also was it was. It also illustrated how passionate and and quite furious people become when you question uh, if football is a good thing for this country. And so it actually wasn't just gratuitous, right? It actually, uh, you know, was there for a reason. So, you know, we were like the question went around like, well, what are we supposed to do? And I said, well, maybe we shouldn't be on in Yuma. Maybe this is not the station for us. If they're getting, because you know, they were claiming they got all these angry calls, and. I mean my preference would have been if they would have just been like, yeah, okay, those people didn't like it, but maybe other people liked it. That would have been the best. Mm -hmm. But if the the question was should we – they wanted me to apologize to this station. I was like there's no fucking way I'm apologizing to this mobile home with an antenna on it in Yuma (laughs) over (laughs) – Boy, you're really going in. Have they already canceled you because you're really going in now? I actually don't know. It's a good – that's a really good – I haven't looked – I haven't researched it. But, you know, like – I guess my point is, and I do sound a little aggressive, and I, I, I shouldn't, but uh, my point is just everything doesn't have to be for everybody, and and that's okay too. And and like I, I, I'm, I would rather we live in a world where you know there's more room for things, even things that I don't like to exist, than than this this, this flattening out of everything and this you know oh well people don't like oh it's not testing well with this audience well then we can't do that or you know like mm-hmm. and and I guess all I'm trying to say in all of that is that. I loved that Car Talk existed, and will continue to exist. By the way, they'll keep playing it, and you'll keep hearing it on Saturdays if you listen to your public radio station. And I'm sure you'll still find sections of it to be really enjoyable and funny. You know, Um, I'm speaking to the sort of listeners at large now. But but I guess I just I want to just you know say it's awesome that Car Talk existed because it's a reminder that weird shit can work in this media landscape.
0: I remember this conversation and. I was riveted and the the reason that I say that is because there's a lot of there's a lot of good radio being made uh by NPR and their contributors like I listen all day um the the takeaway the world uh texas standard but uh rarely and it, it's it's all it's all done by talented people. It's all executed very well, but none of it is great. And there, are, there seem to be no driveway moments. And it, it it is strictly because, and I think Andrew talks about it during this clip is because everything has to be scripted because they're mm-hmm. terrified of, um, anything real slipping mm-hmm. out, mm-hmm. you know?
1: Yeah, that's that's funny you say that. I was, you know, when I had that fun, uh, that fun moment with Luke a couple years ago that led to my saying I have to listen to this, um, to this show. We were on one of those uh, rare unscripted shows. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, the segments are broken out, and you're told what topics you're going to be talking about, but it's unscripted. And I'm very lucky that I get to do something like that about once a month or so. Um, on either KUOW or Oregon Public Broadcasting, but I'm also very aware. I f- I feel like one of these days I'm <laughs> really gonna screw up, right. <laughs> and everyone is gonna hate me. And I wish that there was. Um, I wish that we could feel just a little better about flying without a net. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do love doing that. Um, but I just I feel like if I said something that either if I you know messed up. Either a factual thing or, um, you know, if I, God forbid, swore or just Mm -hmm. got in a fight with somebody or something, Mm -hmm. I feel like people would be so mad I wouldn't get to do it anymore. And I feel like that stinks, you know, and part of that I think is just in my head and being, you know, this like, you know, a student type. Or whatever, where you don't ever want anyone mad at you ever. But I feel like it is a really inhibiting force mm-hmm. in public radio. And that's partly why I love so much Andrew's joke of, of you know, if they had a car show today, they'd call it speaking of cars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is literally yeah. the first thing that I texted Andrew about in a Facebook message thread um, right. about his show. I, I scrolled back to find that. And um, that was that was definitely the thing that hooked me i was like you're so right Right. and that is so funny and luke whiteboarded Um, the show
0: within two minutes he he had he had the show not quite (laughs) the down to the names of the people that would be on the show but he had this is how it's going to go and these are the segments and this is you know
1: you have to have someone in japan because of this (laughs) blah blah but that's and that's what's so ridiculous about it is car talk is not a show about cars it's a show about two brothers cracking each mm-hmm. other up and busting on each other. One guy knows everything. The other guy knows hardly anything. I mean, they're both geniuses, but they're, they have a really goofy experimental approach to what's wrong with your car mm-hmm. that really is grounded in decades of, of <laughs> knowledge. Right. Um, at least on one person's part. Um, Ray, the, the surviving Maliazzi brother is the guy who knows everything. Um, but it's about relationships. It's about, um, you know, scraping out of poverty. It's about getting through grad school. It's about not wanting to look stupid in front of a mechanic. It's about mm-hmm. not wanting to get ripped off. Mm-hmm. It's about being one up on your spouse and <laughs> being able to tell them definitively <laughs> right. that they're shifting wrong. Right. You know, like that's what it's actually about. The The core mistake that anyone would be making would be to try to make a show about cars. Yes. That would mm-hmm. be so dumb. Well, one of
0: the reasons it Car- still it works like- is, is, is why it's still on the air and people are still listening to it is because it was never about the cars because the cars they're talking about, uh, most of them are no longer on the road. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the most recent
1: models they're talking about are, you know, like by this point they have something wrong with them. So they're, you know, at the most recent would be like, you know, 2006 or maybe 2008 or something, you know? And so, um, you know, people are usually calling in about a used car, But um, it's not really about the cars. And that's why Mm -hmm. my son loves it. You know, I mean, as cars as a theme, because so many people spend so much time in cars, but Mm -hmm. I, I didn't drive um, until I was like, I got my license at 24. And I got my first car at uh, 35, I think. And I loved car talk for decades and my mother doesn't drive. And we always listened to car talk together in the eighties. It's just funny. You know, they're just sitting there cracking up and, you know, like you said, their Boston accents are great and it's just, it's fun. And, um, I like that they pointed out the commonalities of, of, um, Well, I like – I what I really love, especially now, is the the context of what they were going through at that time. Because at the time, I was like, oh, it's interesting to hear two people who have this podcast and they're trying to keep something going on their own, you know, talking about it with these kind of mixed feelings they have about Car Talk, about how pioneering it was and how public radio doesn't feel that pioneering and that even just the fact that Car Talk was – they were going to – you know, they hadn't been producing new episodes and they were just filling that time slot – when they could have been putting something else more experimental mm-hmm. in there. Like I liked that whole conversation, but now, especially with what we know now about specifically what Luke was going through at that time to bring it on back to being about Luke again, which is that when I reconnected with Luke, that was where he met Steve Nelson. Mm-hmm. And what was happening precisely at this episode, we just learned this week is that, and I checked Lin Fam's website to verify this. Um, Luke had just been on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me in Chicago um oh,
0: just right
1: at right in early November. Yeah. Just about exactly two years ago right now. And Steve had flown to Chicago to see Luke do Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Um Luke just told us that this was this had happened a couple of months after he met him at PRPD. So this this is the backdrop for the whole thing that they're having these conversations with APM about getting their podcast distributed. Mm -hmm. And then what they're sharing with us is, is all of their thoughts about what's, what's great and what's not so great about trying to be experimental in public radio and where there's room for that and how in a way car talk is the precursor for the very thing that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And so I really loved that. And it was just such a treat this week. like a little bonus that Luke happened to mention that um, that Steve Nelson had flown to Chicago to see him do Wait Wait and talk more about APM this. APM was um,
0: in the midst of a decision on whether or not to yeah. embrace the weird shit.
1: Right, exactly. And they're talking about it knowing that Steve is listening to it and possibly passing it to other people to listen mm-hmm. to. And I just mm-hmm. think that's really cool because, in a way, they're they're committing to what they want to do and they're negotiating. And they're saying – Look, this and they're recommitting to each other and themselves about like we believe in this, we believe this is something that people want to listen to and we believe that there should be more room for experimentation and more things like this on the radio and Car Talk is evidence of that. So, I those are my takeaways from this and it just all the more makes me admire what Luke and Andrew do and who they are as people and the fact that they've been able to keep this going and and Jen too. Um so mm-hmm. props all around.
0: Well, I wonder how much uh, the self-sustaining nature of TBTL played into APM even wanting to be involved with them because, you know, everybody's got a podcast, right? Every middle-aged white guy mm-hmm. has a podcast. Uh, <laughs> but how many are actually sustaining to the right. person who does it? And how does that happen? And how it happens is, is that uh, people are passionate about this show. It is a weird phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes, but you know, I remember, (laughs) I remember I was having lunch with Luke, um, when the show was still on Cairo and and we were talking about how it's not going to be long for the radio, but, but you know, we could both tell and see from where all the support was coming, you know, all over the world and, Mm -hmm. and the people that were into the show were so into the show that the fact that it wasn't pulling any ratings at all on Cairo really weren't going to matter because he he was building something that was going to be portable. And Mm -hmm. he, you know, once they got fired, he proved that it was portable. And the TBTL-a-thons proved that he could sustain it. And APM had to look at that and go, nobody's able to do this. Nobody not famous, you know, is able to (laughs) do this. So there has to be something special here. And I bet it was just... Uh, totally confirmed when Steve Nelson shows up to the Legion hall and there's just all these weirdos, you know, yes, <laughs> just getting drunk off their ass and, you know, <laughs> strangers, people have never met together and they're getting together and they're just laughing and having a great time. Like their best friends. Yep.
1: yep. You know, that didn't happen going, with Luke.
0: Wits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think I'm, I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's, fantastic it was it was great timing and great insight by steve and to say like hey we're going to make this part of a brand and you can cross promote you know we'll have our other Mm -hmm. stuff cross promoted on your podcast since yours goes out daily these others go out less often yeah but that's really smart too so it's not even just about like what are they bringing in as far as being self-sustaining but how can they promote the other things Mm -hmm. i think it's really really smart and i'm just so glad he did that
0: Oh goodness! I I get pretty passionate about um public radio, so I know you do. Uh-huh. <laughs> I know you do too as well, Phyllis. But of course, um, I I would say, I mean, overall, uh, when I'm listening to public radio, I I'm happy and I'm glad it's there. And like Luke said, even shows that aren't for me, I'm glad they're there. For someone, but it always frustrates me when I see that, when I know that the person that's speaking, I might even know that person from meeting them and from talking to them before. It's frustrating that their personality isn't coming through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Phyllis, you know a lot more people. You know a lot of people in Seattle Public Radio. Are you ever frustrated that, that people don't know them better because they, they're always part of a you know this they're in a in a in a little bit of a jail you know
1: well i i feel like overall you know i have a i have my whole um master uh theory of public radio which is that um a lot of public radio stations were not necessarily um newsrooms uh for most of their existence and their transition to newsroom or their creation of a newsroom is relatively recent in their history. And that has drawn a combination of all kinds of people. Some people do want to show more personality and some people do show more personality. Some people are very, very serious news people Mm -hmm. and they don't believe their personality should be part of anything. And I think that it's good to have a mix, Mm -hmm. you know, I kind of like, that there's a mix and and people who have different approaches. And I hope that we keep having room for all of Mm -hmm. those different things, but for people who want to show more personality, I wish, I wish and I hope for them to have the opportunity to do that. And I I want it to be something that's embraced by their employer and isn't like, Oh, you done screwed up now, you know, (laughs) which I think is what everyone's afraid of, you know, and why people do keep it kind of buttoned up. You know, I, I do too. And I mean, even when I think about the history of TBTL, even though we learned a lot about Luke and Jen and Sean, there were certain things, um, you know, maybe more so with Jen and less so with Sean, that they did keep private. But Mm -hmm. they revealed they felt comfortable revealing enough of themselves that we did really get to know them. And that's what made the show enduring. So I think that there's, you know, there's room for a lot of conversation about, like, what part of the mission are we serving and how much of we're doing is supposed to endure and how much of it is supposed to be informative and fleeting mm-hmm. it's a it's a whole whole thing you can uh you can get sucked into but the, i think another aspect and this is something that um you know to to pull back the curtain a little bit meredith i see you you have a note on um is about the the whole thing of who are you speaking to mm-hmm. um and <laughs> the 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 garth brooks thing <laughs> Luke has yes. talked about this a few times. What's your what's your thought on that? Well, yeah, because
2: I think it was Garth Brooks, wasn't it when he when he was on the Bryant Park. Oh, Project. It was Kenny
0: Chesney. Yes,
2: Kenny Chesney. Okay, oh, Kenny Chesney. Oh yes, you're right. You're <laughs> yeah, right. And and, yes. and so he wanted to play some some music or something, and he but you know it was like, well, we can't say anything bad about Kenny Chesney. We can't offend the Kenny Chesney fans. Right, it's like, yes, that's so irritating to me, because yeah, i under- th- th- there are some clear lines you can't for journalism right there's 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 right. clear journalistic standards about um opinions rather than news. those are two different things, usually, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but something that doesn't matter at all, like right. Kenny Chesney music take a stand right. you know right. yes. like have some personality have an opinion on this nobody it doesn't matter and and yeah. if you offend those people if they're that thin skinned they shouldn't be listening to the radio and but those are going to be the ones who sent all the mail i'm sure right
1: yep yep yeah that's very true and and i love that he tells and retells that story because i think that is something that is very baked into public radio culture of not wanting to anyone to be upset. But my thing is a lot of things are upsetting <laughs> and we should be talking about them and we shouldn't be yeah. in the like feelings protection protection business. Right. And I think that extends to a lot of things, whether it's pop culture or, um, you know, or, or, or serious news. I think that that's something I would like to see public radio move beyond as a culture. And, and a lot of people and groups have moved beyond it, but I'm a big fan of, um, of listening to things that I have feelings about. Mm. And I don't, you know, it sounds, I almost feel like, I get so annoyed when people even say this, but like, you know, I don't agree with everything that I ever hear on any radio show, including TBTL. Like, you know, I always feel like it's kind of a cheesy disclaimer to have to make. I don't agree with everything they say, but, (laughs) but it's true. Like people say that and it gets boring to hear because it's true. Of course, you're never going to agree 100% with anything, everyone, everything anyone says, including the car guys, (laughs) but they're, they're popular because people were able to make room for for being like oh that's just those guys saying a thing like the fact that they were allowed to introduce their personality gives them you know makes them more human Mm -hmm. and i mean this is my read on it anyway it it lets you say it's okay with me that i i don't feel that way about Volfos. right you know (laughs) and how boring would it be that would just be
2: an echo chamber, you know, if we all yes. agreed on the same things. I mean, honestly, yeah. that's one of the reasons um, why we all wanted to to do LRB because sometimes you want to yell back at Luke and Andrew, and this is a great vehicle <laughs> right. for that. It's definitely. It doesn't a, mean among we hate top it.
0: Five reasons.
2: Yeah, it doesn't mean we hate the show or can't listen to it no. anymore. It just no. means we disagree, and that's fine.
1: Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to. It's fun to talk about, and that's something too that. When I, it's funny because somehow it came up of like I think s- I was out with Luke and Andrew and some other radio type people, and um one of them asked me. This was like a few months ago. You know, what do you like about TBTL anyway? And Luke and Andrew got like a, oh no no no, you know, kind of like the cartoon, um, like you know, em- you know, embarrassing. Please don't feel like you have to answer that. And I was, my mm-hmm. answer was. It reminds me of something I miss about myself because I don't have these kinds of conversations anymore that go on for hours that are, quote unquote, about nothing. You know, I associate that with a younger part of my life, mostly college, Mm -hmm. high school and college. And um, and as you get older. Um, there's less and less room in your life for that kind of thing. You might get so lucky as to have those kinds of conversation with your spouse now and then, but they've known you for like 15 years or something at this point. So yeah. they don't, you know, it's like, it's, it's, uh it's a different level of operation and you might just not be, um, you know, like you deal with enough, like, um, doo-doo from animals and smaller humans right. and all the more mundane things that it's not that exciting to hear their thoughts about gum or whatever, <laughs> you know? But like, I, I love, I, I love that I get to experience that. Through what they offer on TBTL, just by having those conversations and letting me listen, so it reminds me of things that I miss about my friends and my youth and myself that I I used to have a lot of conversations like that. Like I bet even in their actual day to day lives, they you know they they probably don't have as many of those kinds of conversations as they would love to have. And, and TBTL is is a platform for yeah, that. So like most mm-hmm.
0: conversations that that you have with people throughout the day, there's, there's a definite, um, goal to the end of them. You know, it's like, right. we're going to hit these three points and then I gotta, I gotta move on even with your spouse yeah. or whatever. I gotta go make dinner. Yeah. Um, we need to have this conversation first. Yeah. Uh, right. But, uh, going back to what you were saying about, um, ps- uh, being afraid to have people get upset about what you were saying. One thing that I noticed in the last couple of weeks, and I hate to keep referencing This American Life, but um, the last two or three weeks, they have put out shows that are more or less indictments of Trump and his supporters. And Mm -hmm. I bet they're taking a huge amount of shit for it because there are a lot of Republicans that that listen to NPR and This American Life. And there are a lot of Republicans that are holding their nose and voting for Trump. And there are a lot of Republicans that, that just you know, are fully behind him. And I was wondering if any public radio show with mass distribution like that was ever going to, during this election cycle, do it. Just say, Mm -hmm. this is bullshit. What's happening. Mm -hmm. How people are just making Mm. stuff up and they're just excusing all this terrible behavior. And I found it really interesting that, that Iraglass made that decision and that, um, he's putting out these shows that are pretty much saying that, uh, this guy's terrible and it's all lies and because uh it's they've been handling him you know news organizations have been handling trump like he's a normal legitimate candidate and, right. and it's you know and there there's a a defense for that mm-hmm. but since he's not exactly a news program you know the mike daisy thing mm-hmm. whatever notwithstanding right. i mean they try to stick to the facts, and you know uh I don't know, I just I think it's very interesting that they made that choice, and the shows it are is riveting. interesting
1: and, and and IRA is the kind of person who has built up the political capital to do that, so that even if he hears from mm-hmm. seventy program yeah. directors saying, "We're not going to run your show this week or we disagree with you doing this or whatever, yeah. he can go, okay, yeah, <laughs> <Right>. yeah, <laughs> you know. And that's got to be a nice place to be in. Well, and Mike, and, you know,
2: you were talking you know. about driveway moments, and I know that's something NPR pushes hard in their, in their fun drives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And I haven't had that experience in a long time with any show other than This American Life. Mm-hmm. Um, they're mm-hmm. so good at presenting entertaining content that is also thought-provoking and sometimes makes you really uncomfortable. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of thing that will keep me sitting in my car listening. Usually it's on a podcast, which means I could just turn it off and bring it inside and listen to it. But I will sometimes still just sit there and listen to the podcast until it's over because it's riveting. Mm
1: -hmm. And, yeah, Mm -hmm. he's got enough
2: power that he can say, you don't like it? Okay, fine. Don't carry the show.
0: A lot of people don't
1: have that. Yep, that's
2: right. We're
0: always looking for more driveway moments in Texas because the air conditioning – is so nice that we don't want to get out of the yeah. car. So
2: Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. You have to make your way through yep. all those bugs.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yes. I'm not looking forward to, to, uh, to getting, getting out into this insect filled atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, any, anything else on this tape guys?
1: I don't think so. that does it for me.
0: All right. Um, housekeeping, uh, we talked about the Stens on last week's recap. I talked about the Stens. I did a little rant, not not as much as I ranted way back in the day about it, but uh, <laughs> I don't know if we've already posted the some new rules or have even talked about it. I know Jeremy was, uh, was putting t- together something to kind of clean up the activity on the Stens so that we'll have a more enjoyable experience, so... And um, nobody who's listening to this show is is a problem. So, no, and uh, <laughs> we're not saying don't post. We're
2: saying no, no, no check out the know. other posts. No, make at them all. relevant.
0: Um, I Meredith, I want to know. Eddie had a costume. <laughs> well, yeah, it was. What was he? Uh, Chewbacca. Chewbacca. Yeah, uh, that was such a cute picture. We got. We need to put that up.
2: Okay, that was a last minute decision. I bought that on Halloween. And I had gone over and over in my mind whether I was going to get him a costume at all, uh-huh. because some people think it's kind of cruel right. to an animal to dress them up. And I don't dress the cats up for that reason, because cats are a lot less forgiving right. about those things. They don't they don't want to please me. They won't sit there for a treat and look pretty. Um, Eddie, I calmed him down quite a bit. I, we, we went to the pet store and picked it out, and I tried him on him a little bit, which was fun. Um, and then... I had him kind of calm down. That's why the the picture he's like lying down, kind mm-hmm. of looking half. It's great. <laughs> he gets a little massage that calms him down, and then I gave him some treats, and so he was he was very compliant. And it was like a little sweatshirt, so it was it just kind of went over his arms, and then it kind of had a velcro down the the middle, and then it had a hood on. So he's just a little Chewbacca. He Did, didn't leave it on for very long.
0: Oh, so you didn't put him on a leash and greet trick or treaters or anything. Well.
2: Like that? It did. It, it it had sort of a sedating effect on him, and it might be like the Temple Grandin hugging thing uh-huh. because he barely wanted to move. He was either petrified <laughs> or just very relaxed, because he would barely get up. Oh, <laughs> so Aww. I didn't want to keep in case it was a negative experience for him. I, I took a few pictures and then took it off.
0: Oh, uh, it was adorable. <laughs> so let's not forget <laughs> to post that. Um, how to get involved? Uh, go to Little Red bandwagon.com um this, our show twitter is at lrb podcast email us at littleredbandwagon at gmail.com voicemails 802-432-TVTL 802-432-8285 and phyllis this is my favorite i know i say that almost oh, every great. time <laughs> but th- this is some stuff i'm pretty passionate about and i was glad we got a, a chance to uh to go over it And i loved your clip Yes. So thank
1: oh, you. thank you. Thank you.
0: And uh, <laughs> Meredith, you want to get us out of here?
1: Sure.
0: Until
2: next time, this is the next party.
0: And we love you, Jen.
1: Uh, nailed it. <laughs>
0: that would be a good one on the reel.